we inform. Religious freedom is about people of faith being able to live out their faith, live out their convictions, no matter where they are. We equip. This is a battle of worldviews. And we activate. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. This is AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. And good Wednesday, everyone. Fred Jackson sitting in for a walker today here at AFA at the Core. Another busy, busy news day. We let off today's issues with, with big news this morning. I bet you our producers here in studio don't know what day it is. Marty, Bobby, don't know what day it is? It is National Hot Dog Day, guys. You missed it. I mean, there you have it. So if you've got a hot dog stand near you, uh, you go and remind them today is National Hot Dog Day. Uh, some of these big truck stops, you know, that are out there when you travel, uh, apparently they're offering deals. Either some of them are free hot dogs or buy one dog, get one free, that kind of thing. Now, we all know hot dogs are extremely important to your health. <laughs> we wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> you know, we were talking earlier this morning, you know, we got talking about this, and apparently a lot of people don't know it's National Hot Dog Day. But anyway, we're, we got talking about these competitions that are held around July the 4th. You know, the hot dog eating contest? Artie Chestnut wins every year. What is, was it, uh, <laughs> Bobby, over what? 60? 68, I believe, was the number this year. 68. Mm-hmm. And he keeps Including winning. Including buns. <laughs> and, I, I, you know, it is. it gets painful to watch this around hot dog number 55 uh, because, you know, you, you can feel his discomfort in all of this. So... Anyway, uh, it's National Hot Dog Day. If the spirit moves you uh, to have a hot dog, go ahead. You can feel a little less guilty about it today because it's, I told my wife, that's National Hot Dog Day. What are we going to do? You know, we have a, we have a little corner store called Sam's near us here, and they have some pretty good deals. So, His 15th victory. 15th. It was 63 hot dogs and buns in 10 minutes. But he did, he did 76 the year before. <laughs> Go I, figure. I don't know. I don't know who his doctor is. But uh, I just, anyway, some people regard that as fun. I guess that's fun for them. Anyway, we're got a busy day today. Our president, uh, Joe Biden, is up at Somerset, Massachusetts, I think it is. And he is up there. Now, he was supposed to declare a national climate emergency today. But they called that off late yesterday afternoon. I'm not sure why. Uh, And, of course, he has done that in the past, the way he's handling uh, the lack of border security, et cetera. The president does have great powers in this country, but he was going to apparently declare a national emergency. But what he will be doing today, he's going to – a now defunct area that was a coal fire generator at one time there in Massachusetts. And instead, he'll be talking about things like um, uh, offshore windmills to generate power, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, the American people aren't buying any of this. Uh, Joe Biden's war on fossil fuels is not going well, it's run into reality. 
And, you know, so much of public policy today, and we'll try to talk about this, the various fronts uh, where, you know, the left wing talks, talks an ideology that they probably got in their university classes, but then they're trying to put that into public policy, and it is flying in their face, left and right. And that is, that's what's happening out there. And it's very tragic sometimes. Speaking of tragedies, there was a school board meeting in Uvalde, Texas this morning. And uh, apparently they announced after that school board meeting that they are now uh, on the, the very verge of firing the police chief who was in charge of that school district. His name is Pete Arandondo, I believe it is. And so he's only the second person being held accountable for what happened there. Two teachers died, 19 students died when that gunman was allowed for 77 minutes to be in this classroom shooting while almost, as we just found out in recent days, 400 police officers were on the scene and stood back for over an hour before one of them took action against that shooter. We're just talking uh, before we came into the studio. How does that happen? We've seen some still shots now, some of the video of these officers outside in full protection gear with high-powered weapons, and yet there was this stalling for some reason. Now, some, some of these people are saying, well, we didn't know who was in charge, but does it matter at some point? And, you know, we're, we're contrasting that against the young man at that mall near Indianapolis a few days ago. And uh, his name is Elisha. I believe it is Elisha Dickin, 22 years old. He's the guy that was allowed to legal carry. He goes into this mall to shop, I think, with his girlfriend or his wife. And he sees the gunman coming out of the bathroom there. Do you know that within 15 seconds, that young man took action? and took down that shooter, saving the lives of the Lord only knows how many people. Now, three people, I believe it was, lost their lives in that, plus the gunman. But he only took 15 seconds to draw his weapon and do what was necessary to, to end what could have been far, far worse. He took that shooter. Because we do know that shooter had multiple weapons, multiple magazines. He was there to do a whole lot more damage than what he was able to do. So you contrast the two incidents, 400 police officers, 77 minutes to respond. One young man, 22 years old, and he responds within 15 seconds and takes down the shooters. You know, it's just, it's just common sense in that case that you're going to stop someone. He didn't hesitate to think about this young man, 22 years old, what are the consequences if I do that? No, he did it because somewhere in his background, uh, his his grandfather was it Bobby? I believe it was that you told me his he had learned. Yeah, to shoot. it was no formal training whatsoever, other than what his grandfather did. Yeah, so he had enough common sense, common sense, no training, more formal training, but enough common sense to say I have the means to put a stop to this, and I'm going to do it regardless of the consequences. And, of course, you probably have heard uh, that there are some 
people upset with Indiana police officers who are calling this young man a good Samaritan. They think that's just a terrible comparison to call him a good Samaritan. Think about how many people would have died if he did not take action right away. He's a hero. There is just no question about it. And maybe some of the people in Uvalde, Texas, those hundreds of police officers could perhaps take a lesson from what happened with the quick action of that young man in Indianapolis. All right. Uh, Most people, I think, in this country, most sane people who know what's going on on our southern border would not dare say for a moment that our southern border is secure. The latest report in June alone, over 206,000 incursions. And it's roughly now 200,000 a month. Uh, They're estimating by the end of this year, we will have had 2 million people allowed to cross our southern border. Not because our border agents aren't doing a good job. They certainly are. But they got their hands tied. And their hands are tied by this administration. Joe Biden's Homeland Security Secretary is a man by the name of Alejandro Mayorkas. He gave a speech yesterday at the Aspen Security Forum. He claimed that the southern border is secure. That's what he said. Our southern border is secure. He said, look, the border is secure. We are working to make the border more secure. That has been an historic challenge. It's, you know, I, I, again, you know, any anybody with three brain cells can put all this together, folks. Donald Trump had done his very best to secure our southern border, building a wall, giving the border agents the resources that they need to stop illegal immigration. Need we, we uh, remind people that Joe Biden, when he was candidate, Joe Biden said he would invite a surge on our southern border. That's what he said. I'll invite a surge on our southern border if I'm elected president of the United States. He has done just that. And it continues to this day. Like I say, figures for the month of June, 200 and at least 206,000. Now, I'll tell you, there, there are some people who are upset about this. Certainly the states like Texas, Arizona are doing something about this. Uh, but now some, some Democrat leaders are upset about this. Who could that be? Well, how about the mayor of New York and the mayor of Washington, D.C., both Democrats? They are just appalled that some of these illegal immigrants are ending up on their doorstep. Yeah, that's what's happening. Some of these illegal immigrants are leaving Texas, are leaving Arizona, and they're heading for New York City, and they're heading for Washington, D.C., and the, and the Democrat leaders there are most upset. Well, White House spokesman... Karine Jean-Pierre was asked about all of this yesterday, and cut number six, Bobby, is her response. The mayors of New York City and D.C. are calling for more federal resources to assist with asylum seekers who are being bused to those cities from Texas and Arizona. They've had thousands of people arriving over the past couple of weeks. Uh, Mayor Bowser here in D.C. said these people are being tricked. 
What federal resources is the White House preparing, if any, to deliver to these cities and other cities that are now dealing with an increase of asylum seekers? So I can tell you, Karen, that we have been in touch with both of their uh, both of their administrations, both of their offices, and we're uh, going to continue to look into their requests. I just I don't have further than that to share, but we have been in touch with Mayor Bowser's office, and we have been in touch uh, with Mayor Adams' and there, office. Is there a message from the White House about? It, I think what it's. They I, I think we doing? we have. This has come up before, I believe, a couple of months ago, and I think we believe it's shameful uh, that uh, that uh, some governors are using uh, migrants as a political tool. <laughs> well, that was White House spokesperson Karine uh, Jean Pierre. So let's just kind of look at what she just said. First of all, the surge was invited by President Joe Biden. Uh, despite what Secretary Mayorkas says, the border isn't secure. We got tens of thousands every day, every week coming across the border, over 200,000 a month. That's all by design by the White House. But, but here's the reality. The White House wants to make this a problem for Texas and for Arizona and primarily for Republican-run states. All right? Let them deal with, and we, we've seen what has happened in these states. They are overrun. In fact, uh, illegal immigration uh, promoted by uh, Joe Biden is one of the reasons why a Republican won, uh, run, uh, ran in that uh, recent uh, by-election down there. And for the first time in over 100 years, a Republican beat a Democrat. Um, Myoris, I believe her, her name is, Myoris? Myra Flores. Myra Flores, thank you. She won there. She's a Republican. First time in over 100 years in that district that a Republican won. So the people on the ground know what's going on. And for Karine Jean-Pierre to say it's shameful that they are sending people, no, they're not. There's an opportunity to be given to these people who are now in the country illegally to go to Washington, D.C. and to go to New York City. And they're saying, sure. And the feds are providing the bus. Get on the bus and come on up. And now these Democrat leaders are saying we don't want them. You know, we like illegal immigration, but not in our backyard. Uh, It's creating problems for us. It's the hypocrisy of the left, folks. All right. You're listening to this Wednesday edition of AFA at the Core. Fred sitting in for Walker today. Hey, listen, stand by. Got a very fascinating interview coming up with what's going to happen in the wake of the Roe v. Wade decision. What could it be? The... What's directing women with their decisions that they're making on abortion? We'll talk about that when we come back. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. U.S. Senator Elizabeth Warren called for pregnancy resource centers to be shut down across the country. She said they fool and torture women and pregnant people. She said nothing, however, about the little babies who are literally tortured to death at these murder mills. And no matter how many times she or others try to say otherwise, only women get pregnant. Senator Warren lamented that pregnancy resource centers outnumber murder mills in Massachusetts three to one. Say what you will, one political party wants to kill babies. The other doesn't. Other political conversations seek to distract from this central point. 
Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner or visit the podcast page at AFR.net for more from Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Raising Godly Girls Minute with Patty Garibay of American Heritage Girls. I just don't see why we can't watch. But Kara's parents let her listen to. It's not that big a deal. Killing in a video game isn't real life. Had these conversations recently? Then you know well the struggle of living biblically versus living culturally. The book of Judges repeatedly echoes, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. This moral relativism permeates every cultural layer with the notion that right to me is the compass to navigate life. Living in the gray proves a problematic rule to see the world and ourselves. If your girl constantly pushes against biblical values, offer her some context by reading and discussing the book of Judges. Ask revealing questions after each refrain like, how did that work out for them? Helping her to see how right to me leads to moral destruction. Learn more about empowering girls through the love of God at RaisingGodlyGirls.com. If you are 65 or older, you know this. It's really frustrating to deal with out-of-pocket medical expenses, watching your hard-earned dollars just flying out the window. Well, here's something that can really help, and it's worth taking a minute to look into. MediShare has a new option called MediShare 65+. MediShare is a community of Christians who share each other's health care bills And it really is a community. People encourage and pray for each other. And MediShare 65 Plus is a low-cost option for those with Medicare Parts A and B that fills in the gaps where Medicare stops. You can lock in one low monthly price for up to 10 years. It's great for peace of mind. You can use your Medicare-approved doctor and get prescription savings, dental and vision savings. Very worth looking into, and it's so easy to find out why people rave about the customer service at MediShare. They're great to talk to on the phone. Here's the number. Call 833-45-BIBLE. That's 833-45-BIBLE. 833-45-BIBLE. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. And indeed, welcome back. Fred Jackson sitting in for Walker today. Well, you know, in the wake of the Dobbs versus Jackson's decision that overturned Roe v. Wade, it brings attention once again to the decisions that women make with regards to unplanned, some say unwanted pregnancies. And where do they go? Where do they go for kind of getting information about the impact of pregnancies, the options uh, that they have with regards to adoption. Uh, where do they get their information? Where do they get their advice on what to do? Well, recently, the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, where George Barn is the director there, was commissioned by a group called the Opt Institute, which is a national adoption research and think tank. A very interesting survey and survey results uh, came out of that study. And we have with us the founder of the OPT Institute, John Knox. John, welcome to the program. Thank you, Fred. It's great to be with you. All right. I had a chance to look at this uh, today, and it is fascinating. Why don't we go through it? Uh, What are the key areas that uh, women uh, with uh, unplanned pregnancies, what do they consider when, with regards to abortion or adoption, what are they relying on? What areas are they relying on for direction? The research continues to show that when somebody finds out they're pregnant, 
they really look at, at two options. It's either abortion or they're going to keep the child. And adoption has just kind of been lost uh, with, with the battles that have gone on over the last 50 years. When, when I was adopted uh, over 50 years ago, uh, there were... Uh, there were hundreds of thousands of kids that were adopted. And today what we've learned through the research is there's less than 20,000 a year that, that are currently being placed for adoption. There are larger numbers of those, multiples of those that end up in the foster care system and they get placed through, um, through the state taking control and ultimately placing them for adoption. But in terms of of private infant adoption, or what we talk about today of being open adoption, where the birth mother has the choice and she makes the choice to place the child for adoption. There's less than 20,000 a year. Uh, the Barna research showed uh, that that it was it was interesting. I would have thought that that the birth mothers were affected by their friends and peers and the internet and a lot of that. What what we what we saw in the Barna research was that that uh, women are influenced by their family uh, being, being the largest, but but when, once you go past past family, they're influenced by doctors uh, is second ahead of ahead of, of friends and peers, and also therapists, advisors, third party people are are are, are third on the list, and and. Um, uh, so that's where they're getting a lot of their information today. Now, it's interesting. This survey was done uh, with young ladies, uh, women, who, between the ages of 15 and 44. And I think there were, um, correct me if I'm wrong, over 500 women who were surveyed. Is that correct? Over 1,000, I believe. Over 1,000, was it? And, and one of the things that I found kind of uh, rather interesting in this is the impact of the religious beliefs, convictions of of these women? Talk about that a little bit. The um, the in, the influence of the church is 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 what was the most amazing. I mean, they, there were differences by those of faith and those that 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 identified that they had been born again had a greater tendency towards towards looking favorably on adoption and and looking at that as an option. But the influence of the church was on such a small population. It was only on about 12% of, of, of influence. There was greater influence by Planned Parenthood than there was by the church, uh, which is really kind of surprising. And I think that's where the church has a wonderful opportunity today. A lot of a lot of ministers that I meet, they don't want to talk about abortion because their congregation is split in terms of how they think, and they don't bring it up and it's not talked about in the church. With adoption, they have a wonderful opportunity to be able to talk about it because we were all adopted into God's family, and to be able to talk about these kids that that can get adopted twice, right? I mean, I got I got adopted by a wonderful family, and uh, those are the stories that we need to tell. Yeah, the success stories. You know, I, I again, I just want to go back to something you just said with regards to 
pastors reluctant to talk about this from the pulpit. And you mentioned that it might offend some people in the congregation. Uh, and I, I guess I just, as a Christian, I find that it, it is hard to believe that we would have churches, and I'm assuming you're including evangelical churches in this, that would be reluctant to talk about these kinds of things. I'm talking about a lot of evangelical churches and a lot of churches overall that that uh, are very reluctant to talk about it because of the split. Uh, it's not just... Um, uh, I mean, a lot of the um, um, uh, the good girls in the good churches are going out and getting abortions, and so they they tend to not want to talk about it. And um, uh, I think that that um, you know, I heard one story about a minister who had been preaching from the pulpit for thirty years against against abortion until he went down and took his 16-year-old daughter to another state to go get an abortion. I mean, when it came down to that, and I think about how horrible it is for that minister and for that 16-year-old girl who'd been raised her whole life thinking that wasn't it. And I asked, why why not adoption? And he said, yeah, I didn't even think about it. Hmm. And I think that's typical of our society today. All right. Um, what is your advice then? When a family finds themselves, let's say they have an 18-year-old daughter who gets pregnant. What is your advice to, to families right away with regards to how do they approach this? Where can they go to, to get help? Um, and, you know, we're just talking about sometimes churches are reluctant to get uh, Are there places like your organization where people can go to get advice? There are. There's a number of, of, of pregnancy centers everywhere around the country that can help ad, ad, advise women and, 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 and help support them in their local, in their local communities that they're able to do that. And what we're hoping to do is, is, is to continue to influence the pregnancy centers to give them all three options, uh, to not just advise them and counsel them um, uh, on the gospel and in going down that direction, but to really be able to, to look at um, and, and, and truly advise her on her three options. We know that we know that abortion is an option and she knows that. But and and they're talking about the resources and giving her resources to help keep the child. And what we're hoping is that they will start talking about open adoption. Open adoption is where the birth mother is in control. She's the one that gets to make the decision on on who the family is, who's going to raise her child. She's able to have her own lawyer. She's able to have her own advisors and counselors that can help her through that process. And we're hoping that more of the pregnancy centers will be, be able to point her in that direction. The Barna research showed that women uh, uh, don't know their options when it comes to adoption. It showed that um, 30 million women today do not know that they get to pick the family. People think of adoption as being like their grandmother's type adoption, 
where they didn't have any control, where somebody else, an agency or society, other people were controlling what she did. With open adoption today, she's in control. She gets to make the decision. She gets to pick it. And there's no cost to her. It's paid for by the adopting family. All right, we're talking with John Knox of the Opt Institute. It's a national adoption research and think tank. All right, John, there may be people listening right now who are in the situation that we've just been talking about. Can you give them a place to start, to go, a website, uh, to go to start kind of doing research on this so they understand they have these options that you're talking about? That's what we've been creating with the the Opt Institute, which is which is is not the it's a source of research is what we have. Uh, what they need to go to is is the local aid, licensed agencies that are in their area, or the pregnancy centers that are in their area are the ones that can help them the most. So I don't have a particular site that we're promoting there in terms of being able to to answer your question, Fred, and I should. I should have a better answer for you than I do. Well, that's okay, John, because uh, on our website, at our podcast, uh, we have links. I think we have three links uh, to agencies and others that can help. So if you're listening right now, uh, your family, you have a daughter, you have a niece, uh, maybe you're a, you're in a situation, you're married, uh, and... Uh, you want to know what what can be done. Certainly, uh, adoption is is an availability. And John, uh, we appreciate so much what you are doing, and uh, we hope that you know that. Like I say, one of the surprising things coming out of this survey is the lack of comfort that a lot of women have in going to their pastors, going to their churches uh, to discuss these things. But perhaps you know that will change. Uh, we, we do have hope when we see the Supreme Court decision on this that there is a, going to be a different approach to this. And many states now are taking action that hopefully will encourage women to consider this idea of adoption. That there are families out there that are looking, that are looking, women who cannot get pregnant, that they're looking for an opportunity to, to, uh, to, to have a child, to love a child, to raise a child. Uh, in in the nurture and ap- admission of the Lord. So uh, we want to give them that option. John, John Knox at the Opt Institute, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Thank you, Fred. Appreciate it. All right. Take care. Well, and wow, what what an important, an important consideration that has to be made. Uh, we know what's been going on in this country uh, since Roe v. Wade in, in 1973. And yes, we can be optimistic, uh, given the Supreme Court decision uh, that knocked down Roe v. Wade. Uh, But we do know, and you have seen, the reaction from many Democrat, primarily Democrat-run states. Uh, They're appalled by this. They're going to continue to fight it. Uh, They're opening their borders uh, to women who want to go from other states. But thankfully, what I heard this morning, perhaps within a few years, there will be at least 25 states uh, that are taking action to reduce the availability of abortion, which would also, I would hope, prompt uh, for people to consider consider other options, and certainly adoption is one of those. All right, we're coming up on a break.
And uh, I just wanted to mention before we got there that, uh, and we were talking in the uh, earlier stages of the programs about liberal policies and what they're leading to in this country. And I, I was fascinated recently by comments coming from the uh, CEO of Starbucks, Howard Schultz. Uh, I don't know if you've heard, they're shutting down about 16 of their stores, not because they aren't profitable, but because of liberal soft on crime policies he's been told by the employees of these stores we don't feel safe anymore here's something of what he had to say cut number one we are beginning to close stores that are not unprofitable it has shocked me that one of the primary concerns that our retail partners have is their own personal safety the issue of mental illness the issues of homelessness and the issues of crime and Starbucks is a window into America. We have stores in every community, and we are facing things in which the stores were not built for. And so we're listening to our people and closing stores, and this is just the beginning. There are going to be many more. These governments across the country and leaders, mayors and governors and city councils, have abdicated their responsibility in fighting crime and addressing mental illness. What is fascinating about comments from the Starbucks CEO, Howard Schultz, Starbucks is one of the most liberal, woke corporations in this country, based in Seattle, one of the most woke cities, one of those cities uh, that has gone tough on their cops, and uh, they want police reform and all this sort of thing. So what's the big takeaway from this? The big takeaway from this story is you can have these ideological thoughts about what society needs to do to be a better society, like, you know, reduce your police departments and all of this kind of thing. But then when those thoughts, those left-wing ideologies are put into public policy, then you have guys like the Starbucks CEO, Howard Schultz, saying, wait a minute, <laughs> reality is struck at our stores. And we have to make a change here. You heard him say they've already shut down 16 of these stores and more to come. All because left-wing ideology has hit reality. And those employees are begging the store, we need to shut it down. Because we're in a crime-infested area and those policies just aren't working. 888-589-8840 is the number to call. 888-589-8840. Have you run into this left-wing ideology and by golly, you found it just doesn't work? 888-589-8840. We'll talk to you when we come back on this edition of AFA at the Core. A pregnant, homeless 18-year-old girl, a 60-year-old woman worn from the weight of a tough life, a young woman in her 20s crying for the right to murder an unborn baby. It may sound like their lives are worlds apart, but they have more in common than you think. Rebecca Davis shares their stories in the article, Row No More. The ending will have you on your knees in prayer and in praise. Take time to read this article today. You'll be glad you did. Go to afa.net slash the stand. 
What does the American Family Association stand for? We believe that our ministry, as well as everything in the heavens and on earth, belongs to God, and our role is that of a trusted manager. These values and more are part of our mission to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. We want to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Thank you for standing with us. Telling Bibleists, persecuted believers, no, that's one of the hardest things we do at Bible League. Hey, it's Michael Woolworth, and I want to give you an update on our campaign, Stand With Them. You know, Paul wrote, the persecuted, they may be persecuted, but they're not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. You know, for weeks we've been telling you about Christians who are praying for Bibles in order to endure and persevere. Ahmad is in Malaysia. He's a civil engineer, was beaten. When he came to Christ, he's praying for a Bible. Adesh is in Nepal. He's a tour guide near the Himalayan mountains. He was beaten, but he's praying for a Bible in the Nepali's language. And then Einar is in Zimbabwe. She's a widowed mother of three. Her husband was killed by the Boko Haram regime. She's not praying for an end to her suffering. She's praying for a Bible. We're in the final few days of this effort to send God's word to 16,000 Bibleless persecuted believers. We're short of this goal and we need to wrap up in the coming days. So at $5 a Bible, $100 sends 20. Will you call 800-YES-WORD? 800-YES-WORD. Or give at sendbiblesnow.org. Sendbiblesnow.org. Most things and how you see them depend on perspective. For instance, to a sardine, a submarine's just a can of people. A Christian worldview is a matter of perspective. If there's no God, then you're a turnip. Your life's meaningless. All things are permissible. There's no difference between good and evil and love and hate. But if there's a God... He's in charge, and the choices you make really matter. The perspective you choose will determine how you live your life. It really does matter how you see it. God or no God, you ought to check it out. I'm Steve Brown. You think about that. Share what you just heard with a friend. Go to youthinkaboutthat.com. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. And Fred Jackson sitting in for Walker today. Busy, busy news day as we've been talking about the president up in Massachusetts telling folks uh, we've got to get rid of these fossil fuels. So he's got a solution. He's going to be announcing windmills off the coast of the northeast there. That'll work. I don't know how windmill looks on top of a car. Not sure about that. Whether, you know, those windmills will supply all of that uh, heat that you need up in the Northeast in the wintertime. Yeah, they'll find out, you know, folks, this is not going to work. Didn't work in Texas, did it? Didn't work in Texas. And here's the reality. You know, someone told me, uh, and this is an expert in the field, we have over 300 years of energy resources under our ground here in the United States. And that's not even considering uh, nuclear power resources. Now, if you want to put, you know, solar panels on your house, that's great. Somebody gave me a couple of solar panels. I'll probably consider that for my roof, too. That's fine. But for Pete Buttigieg, Transportation Secretary, and others, did you hear what Pete Buttigieg said the other day? 
uh, uh, he said, yeah, uh, more pain at the pump. That's all we need. I, I think we actually have that cut, don't we? We do. Yeah, cut number seven. You would agree that the higher the, ga- the price of gas, then the, the faster you reach that parity. Of course, the more pain we are all experiencing from the high price of gas, the more benefit there is for those who can access electric vehicles. It's why we're hoping you and your colleagues might reconsider opposing the reduction of EV upfront prices with tax credits. So, so you're, you're saying the more pain we have, the more benefit we're going to get. Of course. I think no. that's what I heard you say. I mean, you said the more pain that we <laughs> really, have. That's, that's what you heard yeah, me say. That's what I heard you say. I know you want me to say it have. so bad, but, but okay. uh, honestly, sir, what we're saying is that we could have no pain at all by making EVs cheaper for everybody, and we'd love to have your support on that. No, he said more pain at the pump, the more uh, our people will accept our radical agenda. That's what he said. He's in touch with the common man. Yeah, yeah. And we all know that. All right. Uh, don't want to make anybody mad. Let's go to our phones. Let's go to Carl in Arkansas. Go ahead, Carl. Hey, Chris, thanks for taking the call. Um, been listening a lot to you guys talking about energy, where we're getting energy, and how we're producing energy. And and had a, I've never heard anybody address this, but um, as far as the solar panels are concerned, I get two, three calls a week. Uh, ads all over the place, you know, offering for government-paid solar panels. And from what I understand, most of those are manufactured in China. I, I could have that wrong. I'm wondering if there's some kind of a, you know, connection, uh, payoff, whatever it may be, that uh, we're buying all these from China and sticking them on our roofs. And, uh, you know, those things go bad after a while. I'm sure the landfills are starting to get filled up with them. And, and that's going to be a problem down the road, too. Yeah, maybe Hunter Biden has a share in these these uh, companies in China that make <laughs> solar panels. Hey, listen, I look forward to the day if this happens, if Republicans win the House. I'm told there are just going to be all kinds of commissions and inquiries. And I think high on the list is this Hunter Biden laptop and the information that it is providing. Of course, Joe Biden says, I'd never discuss business with my son. Well, we now know that's not true. In fact, he had meetings with his dad when his dad was vice president. Just about every time he came back from one of these countries, uh, that magically offered him all kinds of contracts. So uh, that's, hey, we could talk about that in a whole other show. But, Carl, thank you very much. Uh, Solar panels. Yeah, I heard. Now, I'm sure there may be some U.S. companies that are now going to make that with great subsidies by the taxpayers of America. Uh, to make these solar panels. Like I said, nothing against them, uh, but they're not going to supply the need that we need for various times of the year. Uh, Solar panels aren't going to help you uh, get those vehicles. Uh, I was reading this morning on on diesel. Now, we've heard from the Biden administration, and I've I've seen, you know, gas has gone down about 50 cents in the last uh, couple of weeks, but I understand that diesel prices are not dropping. So you may be getting a a tiny break at the gas pump, which, by the way, is, you know, Joe Biden is trying to take credit for that. Uh, That's not the case. Uh, It's just that demand is is decreasing a bit. But diesel costs, and that's so important, folks, on two fronts, is what your 18-wheelers, for the most part, use to get the goods to the stores. They're still suffering. Uh, Number two, farmers and their farm equipment to get crops off the field. They also run on diesel, and so those costs are going to go up. Uh, so you have, and, and, you know, prices may go down on the pump for 
filling up your car, but you're still going to feel the effects of higher fuel prices uh, when you go to the store to get those goods, groceries, whatever the case may be. All right, uh, let's head to Kentucky, and good afternoon, Frank. Hello, Fred. Fred, uh, thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you, you were talking about uh, uh, adopting kids. Uh, every time I hear uh, about abduction, it just kind of it does something to my psyche, I guess. But what I mean is that uh, I know it, that uh, it's that people have to adopt kids, but there is a bad side of that. Uh, you don't know. I know they check kids, check the families out, all that stuff. But you, there's so so many unfit par- parents out there to be parents. There's les- there's lesbians and homosexuals. Look at look at Pete Buttigieg, whatever his name is, in uh, in the in the White House. He he has he's doing the same thing. So uh, it's just, it, it, it just bothers me when someone says adoption. Uh, I know they check them out, but I wonder if they go back and check what's going on in that, in that family because some of those lesbians out there, they're waiting for that kind of stuff. So it just really bugs me a lot. No, um, no, I'm Frank, I, I hear your concern there, no question about it, uh, but, but uh, hopefully... Uh, a good Christian-based adoption agency. I know they do. Uh, they're they're going to be checking uh, to make sure uh, that kids aren't put into situations kind of like the ones that you're describing. And I, I I know there are Christian adoption agencies that have had to go to court because various jurisdictions, state jurisdictions, have said if you're going to have an adoption agency in my state. Uh, whatever that state is, then you have to open up the adoptions to homosexuals. And these Christian agencies have said, no, we'll go out of business before we will allow that to happen. Uh, so we need to be encouraging these agencies uh, in in our prayers, uh, perhaps in our financial support, uh, to make sure they continue to stand strong and to encourage them uh, to take a biblical stand when it comes to placing kids uh, in these homes. Uh, but uh, our caller from Kentucky does make a good point uh, because there are agencies out there that don't have a problem with putting kids in the homes of homosexuals. Uh, Chris in Tennessee, good afternoon. Go ahead. Uh, yes, sir, uh, Mr. Jackson. Thank you for taking my call. I'll make these two points real quick uh, on oil and abortion. Okay, first of all, you cannot do away with oil. Okay, <laughs> you have to have you have to have grease. All right, and this is what's so hypocritical about the windmills. I used to deliver stuff to these windmill farms, 55-gallon drums of grease for the bearings that are up in those windmills. You have to have grease for bearings on your rotors on your car, or else you, if you don't, you have steel grinding against steel, which will cause a fire. Also, you have petrolatum, Vaseline. You have petrolatum goes into... Uh, baby rash cream. You've got uh, petrolatum that goes into all kinds of health care products. You cannot do away with oil. So it's so ridiculous, all these things that the administration is talking about. And then my second point, and I will not candy coat this, okay? The abortion people, I've, I've watched all this ever since Roe v. Wade has been overturned. 
And this is nothing more than a satanic psychosis of abortion. You have all these ways to not get pregnant. You have all these devices. You have all these pills. You have all these other things over the counter to keep you from getting pregnant. Okay? So all you're doing is arguing for the murder of a baby. You want the right to murder a baby. But yet you on the left, you're against the death penalty for a guy named Nadal Hassan, who went into an army base and murdered 14 people. I say 14 because there was a pregnant woman. And so there was a baby that was killed. You argue against the death penalty, but you want to have the right to have an abortion and kill a baby when you have every single way to not get pregnant. It is a satanic psychosis, and it's very evident, and it's showing its very ugly face every day as we see. Chris? That's the truth, brother. Thank you for calling. I appreciate it. Uh, bang on. What, Chris? Uh, just before you go, what? How much did you say of uh, oil? Is he, uh, caller's gone, I guess. How much oil did he say? Was it fifty-five gallons go into these windmills? Fifty-five gallon drums, in order because they have to have lubricants. That's something the Biden administration probably won't hear from them. Uh, no, he's our caller is exactly right on both fronts, folks. It makes no sense whatsoever. Michael in Mississippi, go ahead, sir. Good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. Good. I just wanted to chime in on the adoption uh, uh, subject there for a minute. I know you moved on, but I'm from the state of Mississippi, and my wife and I did a private adoption in Mississippi, and I just wanted to get my opinion on, on what a absolute blessing that that adoptions are that my wife and i we could not get pregnant and she she had basically gone into early menopause we had the uh, the uh, opportunity to adopt through a as a private adoption we were the first couple in the state of mississippi that required a home study on a private adoption so we had to we had somebody come into our house through a private adoption and, you know, make sure everything was safe as far as the child and all that, which was a great thing. But I just wanted to, to speak to, you know, what a blessing. Because we adopted my wife, I don't know, her system kind of relaxed. And lo and behold, 22 months later, we had, our, we had a child naturally. Um, <laughs> and without, with, without adopting him, we wholeheartedly believe that the good Lord, that he blessed us with, with our daughter because of our adoption. Wow, what a wonderful testimony. That is incredible uh, from Michael in Mississippi. You know, it's not the first time I've heard testimonies like that. It's just amazing what happens. We serve an absolutely wonderful, wonderful God. Let's try to get at least one more call in uh, to Louisiana, and good afternoon, Sandy. Hi. I... I uh... Oh, I just wanted to remind people that the reason the gas is lower is because Biden is taking gas from uh, the reserves, and uh, so he's he's actually doing us a, a disfavor. And um, so that's 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 basically what I wanted to say. No, that's fine. I know that's that's come out, and the uh, the White House tries to say that's the reason the gas prices are going down, but that uh, that amount coming out of the reserves is not doing that. Uh, the bottom line in all of this, the reason it's been going down, a lot of the experts say, is because 
a lot of folks aren't driving around as much. Uh, that's that's the bottom line in all of this. And gas prices will continue to go down as we get towards the end of summer. Kids are going back to school. Uh, in some parts of the country, uh, school starts again in a couple of weeks. And so, you know, family vacations will be over. Uh, the airlines will cut back on flights uh, because things get, the fall actually is the least busy time of the year uh, for travel. So that's that's what's going on. But I think I'm pretty safe in making this prediction. The Biden administration will continue uh, to take credit. We all know <laughs> that when prices started to go up, what did Biden say? That's Putin price increases. That's what's causing that. And then he blamed the Republicans uh, like he was all over the map. He's in trouble and he knows it. And here's why. Uh, he went to Saudi Arabia last week. so And we all know he went hat in hand trying to get the Saudis to increase oil production. Uh, but you will notice coming back from that trip, there's been no mention that, hey, I got a deal with the Saudis uh, because he didn't get a deal with the Saudis. And that shouldn't surprise anybody. Uh, for a couple of reasons, the Saudis are already pretty maxing out on, on oil production. But also, you will remember that uh, Joe Biden, candidate Joe Biden, said, I'll make a pariah out of that Saudi leader. Uh, so, yeah, that was kind of awkward when they did the little fist pump there last week. I could just see the look on the face of that Saudi leader saying, mm-hmm. I remember what you said about me. If you think you're getting anything out of us, forget it. And uh, that's the reality, folks. No. Uh, the way to deal with our energy crisis right now, as other people have said, uh, just open up the oil fields. Let's, uh, let's dig in that ground, get that oil and natural gas out. Hey, listen, you want to develop other alternatives of, of fuel? Go ahead. But in the meantime, don't make the American people suffer. All right. Been good to be with you today. Fun to send in for Walker on this edition of AFA at the Core. We'll see you again real soon. Maybe stand by for more great programming here on American Family Radio. See you again soon. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.